This podcast is brought to you by the Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Affairs at Ohio University. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Jazzed About Work, where we talk about everything that might have an impact on your career. I'm your host, Bev Jones, and today we'll be talking with a leading career and job search expert, Mark Anthony Dyson. Mark is a prolific writer about all things related to the workplace and about how job seekers can become more effective. In addition, Mark has worked one-on-one with hundreds of professionals, helping them to create narratives and strategies that appeal to recruiters and employers. In this episode, we'll talk about some of the challenges of the current job market and focus in on some of the particular challenges faced by Black professionals. And we'll talk about how everybody can help fight racism in the workplace. Mark, thanks so much for being a return guest. We had such a good conversation last time, so I've been really looking forward to seeing you again or seeing you, speaking with you again. Thank you for uh, inviting me back. Uh, It was a great experience last time, so I've been looking forward to it. Well, you know, we haven't talked for a while, but I feel like um, we've stayed in touch. At least I've certainly been following you. I I think um, you are so interesting to watch on LinkedIn because everything you do is so lively and you have brought my attention to all kinds of wonderful posts that other people have done. And you write some really intriguing things. Um, Thank you. Can you tell us about some of the things that you've been writing and doing lately? It looks like you've been keeping busy. I've been very busy and, um, you know, a lot of things shut down. Some of my clients had shut down. Of course, I work with businesses mostly writing content for them, uh, career content. So I've just continued to write for myself and uh, I chose Medium as the platform to exert some different ideas that I've may have touched on past, but, you know, with the protests and the news picking up as far as uh, the talks about race, I had a lot to say about career in race and how it looks differently for black people and people of color, uh, as opposed to uh, a, a traditional candidate where uh, color isn't a particular factor. We can call them white people, right? Uh, yes. <laughs> basically, uh, there's some advice that I thought that was exclusive for black people. So uh, I start writing on Medium uh, specifically about it. And even though it's kind of a um, this is between you and I, but it's for everybody because I think a lot of the advice had been universal, but I think there's some specific advice that was that had been towards black people. And then, of course, I've been doing a video series, which has been an extension of my podcast, um, and just been talking to different career professionals about uh, a lot about everything from remote work to how um, to network during the virus. Uh, some salary negotiation stuff, and uh, um, it's just been uh, quite a ride since. Well, so it wasn't just me uh, looking and watching you on LinkedIn and thinking, boy, he's covering a lot of ground. Well, there are a lot of things we can talk about, but since you mentioned it, I, I would like to touch upon 
uh, one of your pieces on, on Medium with advice for black job seekers and professionals. Before we get into that, though, um, I think Medium is an intriguing platform, but not everybody might be familiar with it. You want to briefly describe what it means to write on Medium? Medium is a started out just as a basic uh, another place for people to write uh, blog posts, and a lot of people have been able to um, write without a lot of filter. You're self editing your your you know to some degree. Now Medium's also broken out into different sections, and uh, let's say they're magazines. Uh, so uh, there are places like for work fashion, even race, culture, um, and uh, many different divisions of it. Um, I write for um, a a segment called uh, An Injustice Magazine, where it's primarily about race, but there is a race subcategory uh, available. This one is specifically um, uh, geared towards black people um, in intersectionality when it comes to gender uh, and uh, basically a lot of uh, marginalized groups, let's say. And uh, people are pretty plain and uh, um, unedited. And that's one of the great things about Medium. It allows the uh, people to go where they want to go and not lose their voice, as opposed to me writing for um, some of my content partners and uh, my clients, where editing is, uh, where the piece is carefully edited. So the Medium piece that I was thinking about that caught my eye, um, I think the the Mm -hmm. title was, Black people, not all career advice is meant for you. I, I found it an mm-hmm. intriguing piece, and I also noticed at the end you had some advice that I thought was advice meant for everybody. You had some really good suggestions. But do you want to um, tell us a little bit about that article? What were you getting at when you said, um, Black people, not all career advice is meant for you? Mostly career advice on the larger uh, job boards and blog posts and articles and newspaper articles are geared towards white collar professionals mm-hmm. um, and to a great degree, white professionals. Um, it really takes in the the considerable differences at times of black professionals because we see things from uh, from a very different standpoint. There's enough studies to uh, even show how ethnic names and even specifically black names uh, are first given a pause and even sometimes bias is even um, um, pushed towards uh, 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 someone with the name. And uh, I know that even from having been a hiring manager in a call center, that uh, um, sometimes long ethnic names uh, are not going to be considered seriously because the only thing that we think or one of the only things we think is that somebody's going to be offended because we mispronounced their name. And uh, even though that's not completely true, their employers have kind of a short uh, um, leash as far as patients. So they want to get down to the best um, possible, um, you know, uh, candidate without having any pushback at all. 
Um, and they built processes that, uh, that kind of favor that idea. So, you know, those are one of the things that kind of go along with it. I talk about in the article about, uh, how fast I walked and my white mentor suggested, and I don't think it was intentional at all, suggested that you should walk faster because that was the culture and climate of the organization. And really, it was mostly <laughs> white managers that did that. Um, and for me to be seen like them, I should walk like them, was the insinuation. In fact, she implied it several times when that wasn't necessarily true. So that's where that stemmed from. And I know a lot of people uh, had faced a lot of kind of the same ways, like uh, dialect, uh, using uh, slang in very slight, uh, maybe strategic, but often uh, is looked at very differently when really the meanings are just the same. It's just that I was exposed or many people were exposed to a different type of language and colloquialism than other people. And not to say that society even adapts those colloquialisms is still frowned upon in a professional place when it shouldn't be. So there's been a lot of bleak and awful news lately, it feels like, in recent months. But one of the things that I uh, think has been, at least it felt to me like good news, is that and with mm-hmm. my clients, you know, I talk to lots of people in different organizations, and as as you do, we're in touch with a lot of different places. And what strikes me is that there has been a shift in organizations um, from a oh, I don't know, maybe it's six months ago, an organization would uh, be officially against um, racism and maybe genuinely want to have a a diverse culture because it's good for business, but nobody wanted to take the time or maybe they didn't see the need to talk about racism. And what's happening now is it feels like everybody's talking about it and people are uh, very often spotting things um, like a tendency to um, um want everybody to, to walk and talk the same way or, uh, you know, expecting a certain kind of narrative for somebody's story if they're going to be promoted. People are, are examining uh, those things and recognizing, oh, you know, that can be uh, an attribute of systemic racism. Do you, do you think I'm overly optimistic or are you noticing the same kind of conversations? Um. We're in early stages where a lot of companies are just giving bylines. Um, if you look at their history, uh, and you look at who they have currently, uh, particularly look at their board members, look at their executive C-suite, and see how diverse they are, mm-hmm. that's what they really mean. Ultimately, is a lot of them by saying that, yes, we support diversity um, and things like that, sometimes it's tied to their clients. If they have clients that are, that are truly diverse, then they're giving that line to, for a lot of different reasons, let's say. Uh, some of it is just to pander. 
But there are others that are actually, there are a few that are actually making really um, very interesting uh, moves to make sure that they are um, responding to what everybody else is responding to. But I don't think you're overly optimistic. Uh, we all have a little glimmer of hope when we hear someone start to denounce racism. But how about racism within your organization? Um, racism and being specific and being to the point to where it may even hurt. But ultimately, I think that's what people really do because you think about it in a marriage or in a partnership. Uh, I don't want to just hear you say, I'm sorry. I want to see you say here. I want to hear you say, I'm sorry. And how do you think it affected me and how you acknowledge that it affected me? That's the things I want to hear. And, and I think that's the thing that black people want to hear as well. So it sounds like, um, and I'm reflecting what you just said, and also because I'm you're an avid fan and read what you have. I to me it seems like you have. Thank you. There are two themes maybe that you have mentioned. One is, mm-hmm. and you've been a leader at this. Um, we're not going to understand each other better and notice um, how systemic racism plays out and. Um, really get anywhere unless we have conversations. We need to keep talking, even if it's kind of awkward. And if you're somebody who maybe you're a white person who wants to be a good, strong ally um, with your, um, your black colleagues, part of it is having the conversation. And a big part of the conversation is actually listening. Um, that seems to be one mm-hmm. theme the other theme is that you have to act and you have to act in a way that shows zero tolerance for racism so that if a leader um, um, says something racist, people have to stand up. And even if it means somebody gets fired or somebody um, it goes through a difficult period. So it's listening and action are two things that I got from what you wrote. Is that a, a decent summary? That, especially the second part, is that confronting racism, and I say this in one of the articles that I've written on Medium, and, you know, I, I like to think that I like to promote amicable discussions about race. I even tell a story about, uh, about an incident that happened in um, some years ago where it was funny, but there were layers to that. Uh, but one of the layers is, is that we should be able to have an amicable uh, conversation. There will be some disagreement, but understand whoever stands up and particularly we want at this particular point, and I'm not saying there's a meeting between black people and say, this is what we want. Uh, I'm saying that, that white people now have to kind of be a catalyst catalyst for some of this discussion um, and to be the one that's going to be slightly disruptive. Um, I spoke to a woman just recently who she says for decades, she's, she's been kicked out out of many family meetings, but as years have gone on, uh, they hear her very loudly and in fact, they and some of them have been prone to change their behavior. It won't change their heart necessarily, but 
the behavior is often the issue in the workplace. I mean, people can be racist behind closed doors, and there are people who've learned and have the emotional intelligence because they grew up with it, because it's part of their generations. And, And we're talking about generations of white supremacy and things that just promoted the oppression of black people and, and people of color that, you're not going to make things happen in one conversation. So you got to approach it like that you should be able to have many different types of conversations over the period of time. But understand too, that person should say that I can't no longer be quiet about it. So zero tolerance for, um, for racism when you see it and having the, the courage to uh, speak up and not back down sometimes. It's not enough to just point it out. Sometimes you just have to uh, summon up your courage and and, and keep pushing forward. It, it sounds like yes. that's got to be part of it. Yes, that's a big part of it. And um, where I go to church at, uh, my pastor has always been for years, and one of the things before I even joined that church, he also has content from the past. I mean, years of content. And he had always talked, and he's a white pastor and has a white wife and white children. Um, and But they are a, a, a family that truly believes in diversity. And even at times, any of them at any given time would be very quick to talk about the injustices of racism in, in these events. And I've seen my pastor even take persecution on Facebook, which, you know, depending on the culture of your friends, uh, he would post about injustices and they will say, and, and one even said, so don't talk about that. Talk about something else. I mean, and from peers that look like him and sound like him in his same profession. So it's going to be uncomfortable, but his take was because people are uncomfortable, I've got to do more, not less. We'll be back with Bev after this brief message. Are you ready to make a difference in the world? The Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Affairs at Ohio University can give you the skills to do just that. The school offers a multidisciplinary approach where public policy, environmental studies, and entrepreneurship come together to educate tomorrow's leaders. Learn more about the Master's in Public Administration or Environmental Studies by visiting ohio.edu backslash School. Let's shift gears a little bit and think about um, okay. the situation of job seekers today. I know a lot of people yes. turn to you advice on job seeking. Mm-hmm. The um, remote nature of the job market and all of the uh, the chaos with so many companies um, seems like uh, it's it's difficult um, for everybody. It's um, it's not an easy time, and yet 
it's tempting to just give up for a while, and that doesn't seem to be the answer. Looking at you as a model, sometimes when things are tough, it's time to you know just uh, generate your own content, keep reaching out, and among other things, mm-hmm. um, network. And it looks to me that um, you're modeling what you talk about a lot, which is using um, plat- well platforms like Medium, in one case if you're a writer, but looking at um, mm-hmm. LinkedIn particularly and um, staying in touch with people. That's part of what you want to be doing now if you're um, mm-hmm. any kind of job seeker. Um, would you agree that that um, the networking um, um, habit on LinkedIn is a terrific way f- for job seekers to keep going, even when the the situation is kind of tough like now? Yeah, yeah, and I think people uh, are missing opportunities if they've been saying for years, "I've got to get on LinkedIn," "I've got to get LinkedIn," and you're not on LinkedIn by now, you the window isn't closed, but I think when people really were shut down those first uh, few months in March, April, and May, those were real opportunities to, to uh, get in contact with people. But I think a lot of sharing and commenting uh, draws a t- attraction, and we're not even talking about publishing. That's if you want to five times your your reach, of course, and it's not just about reach, but um, it's about establishing authority in a sense uh, on LinkedIn. Uh, LinkedIn people will say, "Well, I don't want to become famous." You don't have to, but you do have to show that you have some mastery of your craft or whatever that craft is. Or if you have a new craft, uh, that was the time, and it still is the time uh, to do so. Um, there's a lot of opportunities and there's a lot of ways you can do that just within your profile. But if you're looking to get new opportunities, this is time to reach out and you taking responsibility for that uh, and to uh, take advantage of every opportunity there is to connect with people. Commenting is one, sharing posts with them, even connecting when you're writing connection notice to someone. That is a great way to connect and, and you know, make it thoughtful, make it grammar free as much as you can yeah. and uh um but you know having said that um not everybody has perfect grammar i still working through that uh and i'm a writer for for years uh, uh-huh. but uh people w- will respond to the genuine and sincerity not particularly that you have your verbs conjugated so not everybody um who's listening has even seen LinkedIn. And a lot of people who have profiles never really go beyond that. What you're talking about is that, uh, if I can restate this correctly, what you're talking about is it's, Mm -hmm. you can have your profile and if you want to write something, you can have posts, but you don't have to do the post. What, What you do so well is you find interesting articles written by other people and then you write a comment. And in the comment, some of your values can um, mm-hmm. come through, whether it's a topic like racism where you can make a comment or a topic about, you know, the this, this, um, substance of a job and you can talk about this is how you do it well. In your comments, mm-hmm. you can develop a profile uh, that others can see in very few words. They can get a sense of you. Is, is that right? 
Is that how it happens? That uh, yes, and there are people that do share. They share without a comment. If you, two sentences of a comment just to summarize an article mm-hmm. is really the bare is the minimum and acceptable minimum to even get a discussion going. I mean, a discussion and really LinkedIn is made right now where almost anybody can see your content or whatever you share, not just your work, your uh, network. So somebody, your network has liked a comment or commented, LinkedIn rewards you by having that person go through their, through other feeds that they're connected to. So uh, it, you can get quite a bit of visibility um, if you're doing something as simple as writing a couple of sentences, whether you're sharing a post or even uh, a sentence or two in commenting. Um, it, it increases the, your uh, visibility. You can't uh, the way I look at it ultimately is it's not just employers and recruiters that you want to try to get the intention. Uh, my contention in the past few months has been there are people called referrers. There are people who are willing to refer uh, somebody that may complement their position mm-hmm. or might fill a position within their company. And very often they get compensated in some kind of way. Uh, not always monetary, but a lot of them do get uh, monetary rewards for referring a successful job candidate. So there are people who are looking and willing to do or even just connect you with someone. There's so many generous people on LinkedIn. Out of all the noise and things, there are people who do recognize that there are people who want to work and and have had a, a streak of bad luck during this pandemic and uh, that are willing to connect other people. So think of yourself uh, relating to that person as well. Actually, it's that's a really important point that there are many kind people on LinkedIn who will take a minute or two and um, answer a question or make a referral mm-hmm. or make a suggestion. It if people haven't been involved in a platform like LinkedIn, they tend to be pretty cynical that this some stranger is going to be helpful to me when they don't know me. But it really does happen every day, doesn't it? Yes, it happens every day. I see success stories come through every single day um, of how they, someone else played a part in their connection uh, to a job to an opportunity or even if it was volunteer work or if it was just valuable information every little bit helps and that's literal now it's not just a cliche well i know that uh one of the things that you've done a lot of is working with individual professionals and individual job seekers and helping Mm -hmm. them um maybe chart how they want to show up on linkedin or in a in a job interview by mm-hmm. having a, a narrative about who they are and what their strengths are. I, I think that's an intriguing concept. And if you're doing something like social media, if you have that narrative, if you kind of have a handle on your own story, it gives you a framework for knowing mm-hmm. what to say and where you want to post. 
that's my take on it. Could could you talk a little bit about what it is you do when you work with clients on narratives and what you mean about framing a narrative? Um, largely, you should have an end goal. Honestly, most people don't have an end goal of creating demand for the work. I mean, they do, but they don't. And you could tell in one, two ways. One is that they're not showing their work. They're not putting it out there for the world to see or even talking about it. But if you are creating, if you want to create a, a demand for your work, you do have to create a narrative. And that doesn't mean a, a little summary on your or, uh, on your LinkedIn profile, though that helps. But uh, large in part, you're creating stories of where you've gotten from point A to point B, point B to point C, and point C to point D, and so on. So within that, you talk about even how tough it was uh, for you uh, to get to that point if you had some challenges and how you've been able to go around those challenges. Or maybe that is something that has stemmed from your childhood. Uh, that affects the way that you look at the way that you view challenges. Uh, all of that plays a part. And I think now is the time to create narratives. And really, when we talk about that, we have to talk a little bit about personal branding, is that if you're really not creating that demand for your work then or demand for your service or demand for a service, then it's going to be hard for you to create narratives that really matter. Um, having a lot of little random stories uh, doesn't attract you to people who might be your peers, your colleagues, or people who will hire you or recruit you or refer you. So the think of things in that manner will come down to what your end goal is and being very clear about it and, and doing things to communicate that bit by bit. So one of the things that people can do to help frame their story is practice on their friends. I mean, you can help each other um, yeah. articulate a story that that kind of holds together and says who you are. I noticed that you do something, I think I you call it a job lab, where you bring yes. people together in a group. I, I like the idea of people working together to get things done. Can, can you tell me about your mm -hmm. job lab? Sure. My job lab is a part of the Aim to Work initiative by my church in Chicago, First Christian Church of Christ. Oh, I'm sorry, First Christian, First Christian Church of Chicago. Uh -huh. And one of the uh, um, the initiatives was to build a job lab. And for for two summers prior, uh, I would just have people come. Uh, people were members. People from community would come. Um, and, uh, you know, hear a short presentation, then try to address some of their issues and try to answer each person's questions. And usually this has been a small group. And during the pandemic, since we couldn't meet uh, as a large group at first, uh, I decided to take it online and invite select people in my, uh, on my mailing list. Um, and I started out inviting the last time I invited 1300 people, wow. uh, and got, and got in, in, on my mailing list. I have more than that, but I just selected those uh, specific individuals and it wasn't really all that scientific, but there were more of the recent, uh, people who subscribed to my email 
list and uh, sent them invitations and 10 people responded. And so this time I sent uh, initially last two weeks ago, uh, 1500 uh, invitations and uh, 30 plus have responded. So um, it seems like more people who are beginning to uh, uh, find out about it are beginning to connect with that idea of that they get to come and, and learn how to job search collaboratively than by themselves. Because I do still do some Q&A, but when people hear other people, how other people are approaching it, they're getting that value from them but they're also getting value from the discussion at large. So uh, that's how job labs work. I try to think of it is as you take uh, little parts of everything, you try to put them together and um, that people are getting something out of it. Well, your uh, website, as well as your LinkedIn activity is just a wealth of great information for job seekers. Would you um, share you. the uh, website now in case people want to um, learn more about what you're doing there? Sure. It's the voice of job Okay. And I, I do recommend it as a place for people who are looking around and trying to, to think about how to organize themselves for, for a job search, or maybe they're trying to, uh, um, just keep going because it can feel like an uphill battle. Um, let me ask, we're running out of time here. There's always so much to talk about, but let me just ask uh, before mm-hmm. we finish up, do you have any other um, final words of encouragement or um, suggestions for people, whether they're um, launching a search or in the middle of a search right now, or just trying to bring some more energy to their um, career in, in kind of a difficult time. Do you have any final thoughts? Yes, uh, probably a couple. And one I've already talked about is think about the breadth of your work and what it will mean for others if you start uh, making it known uh, or what kind of things you're working on uh, and showing your work. And then um, don't be afraid of a little self-promotion. Uh, or, or marketing, whatever you want to call it. Um, people won't know uh, unless you put it out there first. But what would be great if you're giving, if you're giving more than you're taking, then other people will share your work. Um, and I think that really works out because it, it means something and it's valuable when you are promoting yourself and you let people initially know. But it it's 10 times the value to you when other people are sharing your work and sharing what you do and sharing your statuses. And uh, every time you share, you just think about this. It's going to help you build another relationship, but you can only do it one by one. You can't do it in bulk. There's no quick way. It takes time. So that's excellent advice. And I'm going to suggest also that if, um, people are looking for a good model on how to use LinkedIn and other medium as a way to um, uh, build their network. They go to your um, LinkedIn profile. That's Mark Anthony Dyson, D-Y-S-O-N on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. And just watch how you do it because you are always 
helping other people. You're making good comments. You're making suggestions. You're making connections. You can you have a track of it, and then you can also see people liking what you're doing and sharing it. They're giving back because you're always giving to people. So you're a great model. Thank well, you very much. I appreciate it's that. It's always a pleasure to have you here. I hope we talk again soon, and um, I uh, I wish you well as you're you know, carrying the torch for job seekers in 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 the midst of a challenging summer. Yes, thank you for the invitation. I enjoyed it very much. Today we've been talking with Mark Anthony Dyson, career advice writer and champion of job seekers throughout the U.S. This podcast is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our audio engineer. I'm your host, Bev Jones, author of Think Like an Entrepreneur, Act Like a CEO. Today's career tip is that it's important to know how to frame your career story. Smart professionals develop a career narrative that helps them quickly communicate who they are and what they can do. Thanks for joining us today. We hope you'll come back soon for more good talk about building a rewarding and resilient career. Thank you.